0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist, Adam Roberts. I hope you all had great New Year's Eve, New Year'ses. I spent mine in Palm Springs with a group of friends, all vaccinated, don't worry. And amongst them was today's Lunch Therapy patient. His name is Simon Haas. Simon comes from a super talented family. You may know who his older brother is, Lucas Haas who starred in movies like Mars Attacks and Witness. But Simon himself is a talent to be reckoned with. He and his twin brother, Nikolai, are the Haas brothers, and they create art that's world famous. It's been featured at the Smithsonian, LACMA, and the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Also, Simon happens to be a cook, and he's cooked in restaurants, and he's a line cook. So we had lots to talk about today. And in today's session, we talk about how making art is similar to cooking.
1: My connection to food is super emotional, and I know that's not uncommon. Like, I, I eat emotionally, and I also cook emotionally. Dealing with critics. The key to, like, successfully expressing yourself is to not pay too much attention to other people. And the food that he ate growing up. My fondest memory. So my dad's from Bavaria and he used to make something called Apfelküchle. So without further ado, here is my
0: lunch therapy session with Simon Haas.
1: Well, hey, Simon, long time no see. <laughs> hey, I know <laughs> yesterday.
0: Yeah, we, so for those listening, Simon and I were in the same house in Palm Springs. We went there for New Year's. Did you have a good time?
1: I had so much fun. I want yeah, to go back.
0: I do too. Um, and we went to dinner on New Year's Eve at this place called Workshop Kitchen. I think that's what it was called. We had a funny experience it was there. Good. Yeah. <laughs> do you Remember what happened when we were waiting outside, but there was a little art store outside and we were sitting there and I was like, what do you think of the art? And Simon was like, it's not very good. And then we
1: looked. at the- I, said, I think I said, it's garbage. Yeah. And then he realized that
0: his art was in the store, which was really funny. Um, well, it was fun talking to you and I think you're going to be a great guest for this because not only are you an artist, but you're also somebody who loves to cook.
1: I do. I love cooking. I don't do it very much, but I, I used to do it for my job. So, so it's like, a, it's part of my identity. You, so you used to be a chef? I was never a chef, but I did work up to sous chef. Okay. Uh, uh, And then I was like a line cook for a really long time. Where were you? I started in Austin at this restaurant called Cipollini. Okay. Uh, It was like a pizza place. And I started working there when I was 16. Okay. Um, And then I moved to a place called Jeffrey's that was Austin's only real, like, fancy restaurant, it was a steakhouse. Uh And then when I moved to LA, I worked at Elf Cafe, a vegetarian place in Echo Park.
0: Yeah, I've heard of that. I've never been there, but I've heard good things. So It's gone, you, Oh, it's gone. And it, uh, When you were yeah. doing uh, all the chefing or cooking and restaurants, I mean, were you also making art at the same time?
1: In LA, yes. Um, and I was trying to make art in Austin, but I was really busy with cooking. Yeah. So my job there was actually while I was in high school. So I was, uh, I didn't really have time to do anything else.
0: <laughs> well, I guess I was,
1: I was curious <laughs> if
0: like, the work that you did with food resembled at all the work you do when you're making art, or if it, if you think about them very differently.
1: In terms of plating, yeah. Yeah, okay. And, and then I guess there's this similar sort of sensitivity that uh-huh. you need. yeah, But I, <laughs> Yeah, my, my art is very visual. And then, you know, cooking has a lot of, like, um, patience patience, and being able to time things and sort of let your brain split between a lot of uh, different tasks. Mm-hmm. Do you know and what I mean?
0: Multitasking. Oh, yeah, you have something toast, like nuts toasting in the oven, and you have... A pot burbling away on the stove and you forget that.
1: Yeah. Something's in the microwave. And the timing. Yeah. Yeah. Like timing that correctly is, is definitely a challenge. So I feel like making art um, is sort of similar, except a much slower version of that.
0: And it's interesting because I'm married to Craig, who you met and he's a filmmaker and he's so singularly focused. Like if he's working on something or even reading something, it's almost like I have to like ask, like get his attention. It takes like five different times. Whereas I who like to cook um, can do multiple things at once. And in fact, like my brain works better when I have like 20 things going on. And so it feels mm-hmm. like I wonder like with you, like having spent time with you, like I feel like you, you're maybe more in the Craig category that you're a little bit more singularly focused. Is that right? I am yeah
1: yeah that's I good. have to like turn my brain off a little bit and focus on what I'm doing so like when I draw I listen to music I was talking to Ryan actually mm-hmm. our mutual friend about it and uh, he can't listen to music when he's working I have to in order mm-hmm. to like shut off a portion of my brain yeah uh, totally yeah
0: and that's actually true for me when I'm cooking like I always blast music in the kitchen and it helps me just like get in the groove and it's almost like a dance like when i'm when i'm in it like i'm just like slicing and dicing and sauteing and you know all that stuff so mm-hmm. i'm sure it probably feels that way when you're making art like when you're getting in there with your hands i mean maybe a good introduction before we get to your lunch would be if you could just describe to our listeners the art that you do and how you started and how you know where you are now i guess <laughs> is that a lot to ask yeah in,
1: in three minutes no uh, so i no, I, I so I do. Um, I do a couple of different types of art. My primary thing is that I work with my twin brother, and we make sculpture and furniture. And um, the two of us grew up as stone carvers because my dad was a like a stone guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and we we make like I guess experimental furniture that mm-hmm. became sculpture. And then on my own, I also do drawings because I went to school for painting, and I, um, I kind of like need that for my sanity. And yeah, I like, I like really spending a long time doing one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm super obsessive, so drawing is like my outlet for that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, my my personal art career is much smaller and slower, and it's. It's like all erotic art. And then with my brother, it's much more like big and bright and pop.
0: Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how you go from like just hanging out with your brother and starting out like making furniture to suddenly I mean, I googled you I do my research beforehand. I mean, I know I spent time with you, but I wanted to be educated and you you have stuff in the Smithsonian and uh, at yeah. the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So how do you go from just casually starting out to suddenly being taken seriously as an artist?
1: Um, I mean, I would credit our, our, our big break was with um, a collection we did with Versace, a furniture collection. Um, and that was really happenstance. I mean, uh, Nikki, my twin and I work well together and we were good counterparts to each other. Um, Like, I'm this slow, like, methodical person. He's very energetic. And Mm -hmm. the two of us, when we, because we're twins, we're able to nurture and edit each other in a good way. So um, we each make, we each wind up making work that we wouldn't have made otherwise. So there was Mm -hmm. something special about our union. But really, like, we just, we met someone who, liked a material sample we made who introduced us to donatella and then Mm -hmm. like suddenly we were on the you know we were we were more known and from there things kind of just exploded i mean it's a weird it's a weird story Mm -hmm. because it all happened so fast and i i have a hard time even really recounting it because it's sort of like i don't know it's now ten and a half years later and Yeah, it still feels like it came out of nowhere for me.
0: No, I'm sure that's what it feels like for a lot of creative people who have sudden success where it's like, I don't know how Mm -hmm. that happened, but it it just happens. Um, But it's also like I had a teacher once who said that cream and bastards rise to the top. And the idea being that, like, (laughs) you know, if you're the cream, if you're talented, um, you will succeed. And clearly you guys did. I'm just going to turn my heater off because it just started making a lot of noise. Hold on one sec. Oh, sure. Sorry about that. Usually I don't break the fourth wall, but, um, well, anyway, that was a good overarching beginning. And I think it helps set the stage for your lunch therapy session, which is about to begin now. So Simon, tell us, what did you have for lunch today?
1: I had leftover ramen from Shin Ramen.
0: Nice. Okay. So, um, Now that's that's not a lot to work with, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with it. (laughs) (laughs) I I told you to eat, I told you to eat whatever you normally eat for lunch. So, okay, we'll start with, um, with leftovers. Are you somebody who just sort of opens up the fridge and sees what's there? Or do you, are you economical and don't want to waste food that's not eaten?
1: It's more, uh, with lunch, I don't pay much attention to it. So I don't eat breakfast and my lunch is, uh, not very important to me. Mm-hmm. And wow, that's, that's dinner for for this podcast. Oh no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I get it, I get it. I I don't know what it means, but I well, really, dinner. I love eating, and I I like I love to pig out. Like I like mm-hmm. to eat too much, and um, I've found. That the only way for me to really do that sustainably is to let myself have like whatever I want to eat for dinner. Mm-hmm. And I've just gotten into a place of not really paying much attention to my lunch. And today's was more interesting than usual. I'll usually have like an acai bowl or uh, a perfect bar or, you know, just whatever is around. Mm-hmm.
0: This is a common thing I've noticed in LA. I feel like Ryan, our mutual friend, that this is how he goes about things. It's like very like no breakfast, very very light lunch and then eat whatever you want at dinner. It sounds like mm-hmm. it's healthy. It doesn't sound unhealthy to me. I mean, my issue would be like not having enough energy during the day, like and as a Jewish person like meals are taken so seriously. And, and, you know, my parents Mm -hmm. or my mother and grandmother would always like hound me like, did you eat anything? Are you hungry? You know, it's like, but I Uh feel like if you're (laughs) able to get through the day without eating a lot, it's probably healthier in some way.
1: Yeah. I'll eat, I'll eat enough that I have energy. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I don't, and that's bad. Um, I, I, I don't like forget to have lunch, but I will be busy and think it's like a nuisance that I have to get myself lunch. Mm-hmm. and on those days I, I really definitely feel like I'm crashing uh too soon but like my lunch was fairly heavy today I, it was it was very flavorful
0: how do you preserve get a... ramen for like the next day because wouldn't it sort of like gel up and like wouldn't the noodles get mm-hmm. like really gross and like slimy
1: <clears throat> Yeah that happened. <laughs> <laughs> so so how I did, just how microwaved it.
0: Microwave and then it all kind of comes back to life and you just ate it.
1: I mean a little bit yeah and it was had so I, I get mine with like a garlic bomb and a spice bomb and Ooh, wow. ginger and your breath must be great uh, right now. <laughs> it's nasty. I'm yeah. glad it's a we're Computer, yeah. we're computer yeah. screen apart. <laughs> Thank God for Zoom. But, so
0: I um, happen uh, to know because of our New Year's week um, that you are in a relationship with a previous lunch therapy guest or patient, mm-hmm. uh, Carrie O'Donnell. And I'm curious. I'm only bringing that up not to out you because I'm pretty sure you're already out. But I'm out. I'm br- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I'm bringing it up because um, I'm curious. How do you work as a couple in terms of meals? Like if you're having leftover ramen for lunch, is he also having leftover ramen for lunch or do you do your own thing?
1: Our lunches usually aren't coordinated, but dinner always is. Uh, So we definitely always eat dinner together. And unfortunately we order it most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm the one who cooks. So if it's ever like a home cooked meal, it's, it's fully me. I mean, he has, but it's definitely like I'm the cook. So um, what are
0: your go- go-to go dishes that you'll make in your home?
1: Ooh, I'll make um, any kind of pasta. I don't follow recipes, really. So I, I like to just go through the grocery store and grab whatever looks nice. And mm-hmm. I'll usually put a lot of butter in there and then create, like, a pasta sauce. Or, I mean, I, I also... Frequently, just make rice and beans, and then put gomasu on them. (laughs) I don't know what gomasu is. What's that? I think that's what it's called. It's like that rice. It's a Japanese rice shaker, and it's like the seasoning. Have you ever had those rice balls that have a little seaweed? Well, is it also called
0: togarashi? Is that another name for that? Because I think I've put. Is it like at ramen shops, like you sprinkle it on your stuff?
1: Yeah, so it's like it's like bonito flakes and sesame seeds and that uh like a little mix of that stuff which is a holdout from my high school days
0: Oh, interesting. Uh, We'll get, we'll get into your, we'll get into your childhood momentarily, but before we do, um, I'm curious, like, as you were describing your process of food shopping and just sort of grabbing this and grabbing that and making a dish, I know I asked you earlier if there were any similarities between your cooking and your art, but there, when you talked about it that way, I couldn't help, but wonder if you're starting a new piece with your brother and you're starting from scratch, is it a similar approach where you just sort of start to grab things and play?
1: You know, I guess yes, in that they're both very like uh, mood based. So mm-hmm. I'm, my connection to food is super emotional. And I know that's not uncommon. Like I, I eat emotionally and I also cook emotionally.
0: That's, that's perfect um, for this podcast, by the way. You get an A on that.
1: Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a big emotional eater. And I, um, I mean, usually I want like, I love fatty, I love comfort food. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I had a fryer in my house, thank God I don't, I would do a lot of that. Like I love, mm-hmm. uh, I love, I'm actually really good at using a fryer, which really? I think there's an art to that. Yeah, like I'll make onion rings very well. Nice. Um, I'll never burn anything that I'm frying. And that's it really because is I an art cook for a while. All oh, right, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. I mean, we went to Japan and we went to this, um tempura restaurant in Kyoto and every course was fried but it was done so perfectly that it was like I remember they had one course that was just a whole carrot that was lightly battered and fried and it just mm. it made it taste even like more refreshing weirdly which is strange but it, mm-hmm. it, it can be a thing
1: that sounds so good yeah and, and oh like chips uh, so I when I worked in Austin I I would uh I had to fry yucca chips mm-hmm. and that required like dipping the basket in and then pulling it out for just long enough to let the steam go away and then put it back in and just monitoring. I mean, it, it actually requires more like consistent focus than most things, so I I like frying.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Wait, wait, <laughs> did we move away from the, uh, like making art though of it all like- Oh, terms? sorry, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, okay. Just no, just, to, kind of remember, <laughs> I just I'm trying remember like the connection. fryers.
1: Yeah, but what is it? <laughs>
0: how did you get there? I forget.
1: (laughs) Oh, I was just saying that I like what I like to cook. And then yes. So I. Oh, you're an emotional eater.
0: Yeah. Emotional. So is that the same Mm -hmm. with making art?
1: It is. So I'll grab, uh, I have a lot of, um, my studio is stocked with every kind of material that I could want to use, like beads, yarn, wood, metal, whatever. Um, and, uh, and definitely I just choose sort of something that is speaking to me at the moment. Um, and I, and I go with it and I try not to self edit too much, either with food or with art. Um, because that lets my emotions sort of drive uh, the direction I'm going in. And there's a, with cooking and with art, there's a process of like stepping back and checking in with it. You Mm can, I mean, it's tasting and like, checking for seasoning and stuff. But um, like often with artwork, if I'm drawing something, I need to leave the room for like 10 minutes and then come back in so that I can see it again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because you get too mired in the details of it. And I think with cooking, luckily you get to switch back and forth or usually need to sort of hop between dishes if you're making like a, a full meal. Mm-hmm. Um, So you're able to come back with fresh eyes or fresh, a fresh tongue on these things. (laughs) No, it's true. It's Uh like, if
0: if you taste something over and over again, you can lose a sense of like, what does this even taste like anymore? I don't remember like Mm -hmm. what it first tasted like. So I I totally get that. And it feels the same way Mm -hmm. about writing too, that if you're working on an essay or like writing a short story or something that you would read it so many times that you would forget, like, what the initial feelings were so i think walking away Mm -hmm. and coming back is good advice for creative people yeah
1: i mean even like there's times where um if i take a break from cooking like a prolonged break or a prolonged break from drawing um i come back even from that feeling like i've i've learned something i'll i like get better at it even though it's been six months Mm -hmm. um which is very much in opposition to practice makes perfect. And I think you need to practice a lot before you get to that place. But, but just like living in and eating stuff uh, in itself is kind of a, a lesson in how to make food.
0: Well, it's also interesting because as you're talking about this stuff, it sounds very private, almost like you're channeling your emotions into the art and into the food. But I'm curious, like how do you handle it when somebody else sets their eyes on it or they bring a spoon to it and they offer their feedback? And is that hard for you?
1: They don't get to until it's finished. Uh, I will not let that happen. (laughs) Now you're talking about your
0: individual art are you talking about the ones that you do with your brother too?
1: Well with with my brother too, he and I are almost we're not the same person, but if we give feedback feedback to each other it, it never um it's never disruptive mm-hmm. but if you're cooking or if i'm drawing um i don't want to hear what anyone has to say about it while it's unfinished mm-hmm. or at least i tune them out they're welcome to say whatever they want but i won't listen to them mm-hmm. um because I've been derailed too many times, uh, like in, before I had the confidence to to make exactly what I wanted to make, I, I would let myself get derailed by opinions and mm-hmm. um, no one can really know what you're going for until, until you taste it. I mean, if I gave my opinion to, I don't know what, like, amazing chef, any incredible chef, if I gave my opinion halfway through, they would completely ignore me. Uh, mm-hmm. and I would, I would have probably been really, really wrong. Cause I have no idea what they're going to do. That's so
0: interesting. And, and it's something that it's taken me a long time to learn too. Cause I'm, as I mentioned, like married to uh, like Craig, who's a filmmaker and a writer. And there were so many times where I would like have a new idea that I'd be excited about. And then he'd be like, but that doesn't really work because blah, 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 blah. And I would let that totally derail me, as opposed to just Mm -hmm. taking that idea, because it might have become something else It might have grown, I might have realized that too. But as soon as you like, let it go into the world, you sort of lose a sense of excitement and you can let your balloon get punctured, so to speak. So that's really interesting. But I'm, I was curious about what you said about you and your brother almost being the same person. So can you talk a little bit about being a twin and maybe also like, do you guys have the same taste in food? And, and do you both like to eat the same things? I guess that's the same question.
1: (laughs) We're actually super opposite. Um, but I, I guess the same person thing is more, we understand each other so well that, um, that critiques are, mm like uh I don't I don't know like'll I'll I'll pay a lot of attention to what he says um if he's giving me a critique but I also never take it personally and mm-hmm. I think that's the case with both of us we grew up doing like opposite tasks or I, and I think this is the case with lots of twins where they sort of divide and conquer and uh, and each one will get like really good at something. And so that when they operate together, they're just, they can handle a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, like he drove, this is all basic stuff, but he was the guy that drove. I was the one that would get on the phone. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I was more social uh, and our, our roles have reversed a little bit since then, but you know, in our current, the way we operate currently is I will do materials tests and studies um, I draw plans I'm more um like I keep more data and that kind of stuff he doesn't touch any of those things he doesn't really touch a computer um, and then his is he's on the like um just unbridled expression side mm-hmm. uh, which is really cool and um uh, yeah I don't know we're we're not the same person but together we make one kind of like more uh capable person i guess
0: well, it made me think about the like idea of the id and the superego that there's like one half of our persona that is like wild and chaotic and then there's the other half that's like the mean school teacher that's like wagging a finger and that it almost feels like you guys <laughs> kind of are it's not like you, you're the mean school teacher and he's the playful wild one I but am. That <laughs> but that you guys I mean it was interesting I, I don't know if you watched it but we watched the Beatles documentary Get Back and oh, I thought it, I haven't it, seen it yet it's, I thought it was amazing. And one of the really cool things about it is it just seems like they're goofing off all the time, but as they're goofing off, they're also like writing these iconic songs, like let it be and get back. And, uh, and then there are moments where like Paul McCartney is the one where he steps forward and is like, okay guys, like we got to do this, you know? And it's, you sort of realize that as a group, maybe similar to you and your brother, it's like they're one animal and like somebody has to corral, and um make things happen but it's really interesting to hear you yeah. talk about that yeah
1: it's cool I love group dynamics I mean duos and and groups with art and and music is kind of amazing I I what's funny is that doesn't happen much with cooking uh, right yeah
0: <laughs> no and I, I'm very similar to you Is I don't like people coming into my kitchen I have a lot of friends are like when can I cook with you and I'm like Never. (laughs) I I Uh, I don't, I don't get a lot of pleasure (laughs) from that. I just love being alone in the kitchen and making my own concoctions Mm -hmm. and then serving them to people.
1: Me too. I find myself turning into like a monster controlling person. Anytime Mm -hmm. somebody wants to help me, like I actually get and I get so irritated when they're not doing it right. And I try to like not be like that in the real world, but in the kitchen, I I get to let that happen. And I, I get, really controlling.
0: <laughs> well, I get it. I mean, it makes me think a little bit about the idea of taste, like having good taste and how that's sort of a mm-hmm. learned learned thing over time. And like by having a lot of experiences and reading a lot of books and like watching a lot of movies or I don't know what it is, but it's like when you know certain things, like, you know, you shouldn't put salt. I mean, this isn't actually true, but you shouldn't put salt in dried beans when you cook them, but actually you can't do that. But, you know, just certain Mm -hmm. things that, you know, I mean, maybe the opposite is is more useful. Like I like to season my beans while they're cooking. But if I saw Mm -hmm. somebody who was in my kitchen, who was like, no, you can't do that. I'd be like, well, no, I've done this a thousand times. I know that. So I imagine it's probably the same thing with making art that you've done it so much. And you know, so much that it's like, if somebody's like, I want to come into the studio with you and help you make something, it would probably be like, absolutely not
1: yeah exactly. I mean, and when people help me, i it's always I've given them a task that is is very sort of trainable, mm-hmm. and I give them something really specific. So because we do have other people in our studio who work with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but i I'm uh, I'm controlling with that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you come across as so sweet that
0: i th- I feel like, It'd be interesting to see that side come out. Maybe if I ever force you to let me into your kitchen,
1: I'll see it. <laughs> I, I guess actually, I'm I nice saying- about it, but I'm control- I'm control I'm quietly like getting very upset <laughs> while <laughs> someone's like uh, chopping things not in a not consistently. I need you- all the chops to be the same size.
0: So what was the last thing that you cooked and can you walk us through it since like I I feel like a pasta was sort of a broad category, but I'm almost curious because of your fastidiousness and your your high standards. Like, what was the last thing you made?
1: Um, my the last thing I made. Well, I made Thanksgiving dinner with with Carrie's mom. The last thing I made that I that's worth talking about, though, is is uh, uh oh my god, what, oh frito pie. Okay.
0: <laughs> So how did you bring your your, your exacting standards (laughs) to your Frito pie? I've made that before, too, by the way. And it was really fun. I did it very artistically because I bought like little Frito bags and then I cut them Mm -hmm. open with scissors and I put the chili in the bag and decorated it with lots of, um, you know, scallions and cilantro Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So I get it.
1: I did the same thing and I I mixed in so much cheese. I mean, there's, there's an art to uh, making lowbrow food too, which I love because I'm from Texas. So I, Mm -hmm. I, I I grew up eating like the sloppiest food. I mean, Tex-Mex and Frito pie, et cetera, like that stuff. uh, I really love it. But I, let me think of like a, something I made that wasn't low brow like that. well I think that's okay
0: though. I mean, I think it's it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, because it makes me think a little bit about your art like looking at it some of it like it's very playful and like almost childlike, but then it's also very sophisticated. So I can mm-hmm. see how like there's this this kind of swinging back and forth between like something that's very approachable but also something that's maybe a little high brow and like, you know, I think that's interesting to hear that you made Frito pie and, but it probably brought your sensibility to it.
1: So I want to know like, mm-hmm. how,
0: so was it just the chili that you made first?
1: Uh, yeah, I made the chili and I mixed in, so you need to use bad cheese. So it like, <laughs> have you been to Texas? Yeah, I have, but I want to had more. Que- have, you had, have you had queso there?
0: I think probably, I've been like, to Austin. I'm sure I had it. Yeah. Okay.
1: You had queso, so like there's a difference. Queso fundido is like nice that it just melted cheese for chips or whatever, and it's nice cheese and it it tastes amazing. But in Texas, queso means Velveeta, um, oh. like melted Velveeta. Um, and for me, I guess my goal with making that frito pie was I was trying to replicate something that I had from, uh, from childhood. Mm-hmm. And so it it was, and it was to share with people who'd never had it before. So my goal was to go as authentically like trash as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so I start with chili. It has to be bean chili. Mm-hmm. It has to be pinto beans. I won't go the like healthy route ever. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to, I don't know. I'm like bothered by, you know, in California, it's like black beans Uh uh, and um, I don't know, corn tortillas instead of flour. Like I need flour tortillas, pinto beans, usually refried beans are Mm -hmm. better. Um, So I, oh yeah, I mixed refried beans and uh, whole pinto beans into it. And then I cooked um, like an entire bag of like shredded Cheese into it while I was going. Um, <laughs> I've never seen that before. Also I've also topped it.
0: Yeah, I've only seen cheese on top. I've never stirred the cheese into the chili. So that's interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, because if you do that, you can kind of get it to um, like not emulsify. Uh, what's the term? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I, I guess right. it like becomes, yeah, it, it emulsifies a little bit. It, it becomes a different consistency. It gets a little more. Uh, sloppy. I like any food or sauce that like, once you add the butter or a dairy, it becomes like this fatty, amazing thing, like, Mm -hmm. like a Bernays or whatever. I love that kind of a sauce. So, um, I, I tried to turn it into that. Nice. Uh, Yeah. And And then I served served it it? in the the bag. Nice. (laughs) And did you top it with Uh anything? Oh yeah. Uh, sour cream, scallions, um, Oh, just sour cream and scallions. I think what else goes on there? Oh, yeah. on, no onions. It was yeah. onions and sour cream. That sounds delicious. But like really yeah. finely chopped.
0: Um, I, I think it will be fun to cook for you because I kind of want to make something like that. That'd be kind of a cool exercise, but I I wanted to ask you before we get to your childhood, which I keep kicking down the road, but, um, the, uh, the whole thing about getting feedback is like, I was going to ask, like, how do you handle it? If somebody tastes your food and is like, blah, <laughs> like, this is terrible. I mean, I doubt somebody would say that, but like, have you, how do you, how do you handle bad feedback or a bad review of, of like a show at a gallery or something?
1: Um, I'll take it into account for next time, but I try not to let it affect me too much. I mean, truly I think that, um, I don't know, the key to like successfully expressing yourself is to not pay too much attention to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll never compare myself to somebody. Uh, I, I mean, I see, um, there there's artists whose careers I would love to have and who I admire and look up to, but I I'll never compare myself to them or, um, uh, you know, I've, I've actually recently gotten some really, really bad feedback on my artwork and it did affect me for a couple of days, but it's so not worth it to invest in some, what somebody is saying to you. Mm-hmm. If it means that it's going to impact like impact the direction you're going in. Um, and I, I don't remember where I heard this, but someone said, um, never take, feedback from somebody that you wouldn't go to for advice Mm, which I think is really really good advice because like if I'm paying somebody to teach me or I've asked them or or I'm at school like yes I need to pay attention to everything they're saying um but since my goal is ultimately self-expression with cooking or art it's about me and it's not it's not for them or about them and i don't want to hear it.
0: <laughs> yeah, i mean i love that and and it makes me it makes me remember earlier like how you talked about building up your confidence to be able to dismiss that stuff. So can you talk about that process of how you grew more confident in your art?
1: Yeah, i was i was a complete people pleaser and um like if you'd met me 20 years ago or 15 years ago I was super, super different, and I, um, I, like, would never speak my mind, uh, and I just did everything I did was to make sure everything was cool, and Mm -hmm. it's exhausting, uh, and I'm like that too, by the way, (laughs) uh, yeah, it's exhausting, yeah, and, uh, and it's also kind of, it's, like, a little controlling to do that, which I am kind of controlling, uh, I keep coming back to that, but I, it's, like, um, I'm, I'm trying to manage everyone's feelings and, uh, like, is it for them or is it for me? And Mm -hmm. I think it's for me if I'm doing that. Um, so I think the way I got out of that was therapy, Yeah, getting, so getting sober helped me Mm -hmm. with that. Um, and, and just sort of like I guess looking at other artists <clears throat> and thinking about thinking about their process and if they uh, if they would ever like apologize for making what they're making or check in with someone to make sure it's okay that they're doing that, and i I don't mm-hmm. think that they would.
0: Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. and I think. I feel that constantly in our current culture too, that it feels like every time I start a writing project, I'm like, oh God, like what are people gonna say? is this too out there, is this too edgy? Is this offensive? Is this you know? So I think sometimes that ability just to trust that inner instinct and then worry about all that stuff later is is actually the key skill in being an artist, like more even than talent is like just that ability to like hold on to that sense of self and like put it out there. And it takes a lot. So that's really cool that you figured that out. Yeah. yeah. Well as you, as you were talking about being a people pleaser because I'm a people pleaser. I mean I I wouldn't say I had a chaotic childhood but there was a lot of erratic moments of my childhood because I had like a, mm. a a family that could be very dramatic suddenly and I and I I very similar to you would also people please and try to make everything okay and like just calm everyone down and just sort of and I brought that into my adult life. So this is the moment, I suppose. We could talk a little bit about your growing up, because I know that you come from a very creative family, um, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about little bit about how that impacted you and how that informs you today.
1: Yeah, Mike, my, my family is like is nuts in the best possible way like everybody my mom uh was an opera singer my dad was a painter and a stone carver my older brother's an actor and we so our household was like extremely creative um and pretty unstructured so maybe maybe the we have similar similarity there in terms of like some chaos but Mm -hmm. i'm super grateful for that chaos because i um uh I wound up being totally cool with and and feeling comfortable with um with creative chaos and like super varied situations like Mm -hmm. I I traveled a lot as a kid um I spent many of my summers in Europe uh my you know my mom and my older brother were bringing really interesting people through my home like so I won't say who all of them are, but just like some of the most talented actors and directors and Mm -hmm. and all of those people. So I was exposed to so much and maybe my people pleasing partially comes from that actually, because Mm -hmm. the, I was, I was around really, really successful high profile people a lot as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I learned, uh, etiquette. I learned to like really, uh, well they come first in in any situation i mean i'm sure craig knows this well like with actors you have to like give them the stage at all times yeah, sure <laughs> of course yeah <laughs> so, definitely and and if you don't it's like it's it's you're just better off if you take care of the performer so that they don't get upset mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and i'm not a performer at all and i guess i kind of got used to and I got okay with like taking a step back and being sort of more behind the scenes, creative or, or quietly creative. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers the question, but. No,
0: it's, it was really interesting. I mean, cause for those who are listening, I mean, if they don't know like your older brothers, Lucas Haas, who is a, Was you know when I was growing up, I would I loved watching him in movies. Like I'm very aware, and I guess I'm curious. Like when you talked about these high profile people coming into your home, I mean, was there a a real moment in your childhood where his success changed your circumstances? I mean, was that part of what was happening when you talk about that?
1: Yeah. So he um, he was when I was young. He was really famous and so i I don't remember a time actually when i when i wasn't conscious of that Mm -hmm. um if there was any i it, it gave me so many incredible benefits like i got to do stuff that seems just crazy to most people when i talk about it and i um yeah he would like bring me to LA and I just experienced the craziest shit and it was awesome (laughs) I bet you Um, have good stories that maybe you don't make it onto this podcast (laughs) I I I won't I won't say him now but yeah there were it was pretty cool and um and he's been like a huge supporter of mine for my whole life so he was he was truly incredible um to grow up with if there's a drawback it's more in how Uh, how other people treat celebrity because Mm -hmm. when I was young um, I mean celebrities experience this to a much greater extent but like how do they know if somebody is hanging out with them because they like them or because of who they are yeah Um, so I got I was a little isolated in that way because I I like didn't I didn't trust everyone's intentions necessarily so Mm -hmm. i I like definitely was very much on my in my own space in my own head a whole lot, Mm -hmm. Um, which ultimately served me really well because that's where I thrive making artwork. So,
0: yeah, it it makes a lot of sense like being introverted and being private and in these crazy circumstances. It probably was a, a way for you to take a lot in of the world too and just absorb, 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 and then use it all later as you got older. So. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask, yeah, you, exactly. we, we kind of missed the food part of all of this. So in in all this uh, travel and in all this chaos, like, do you, what are your food memories? And was there a lot of cooking? Was there a lot of eating out at nice restaurants?
1: It was mostly cooking when I was a kid. My fondest memory. So my dad's from Bavaria and he... Used to make something called Apfelküchle, which is a. I beg your pardon. I don't know if you've. I know. <laughs> God, God bless you. Yeah. Uh, what's it, It's a. I think actually there's a Dutch a similar Dutch thing called appelfloppen, or I. It's like um. I don't mean to laugh. You, if you're Dutch,
0: I apologize. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, no. I'm saying if you're uh, listening to this and you're oh, Dutch, I apologize. Yeah. yeah. My
1: my sister in law is Dutch, and and she. Um, had had these before and they're unbelievably good. So there's, it's a, um, you take an apple, peel it and then core it and slice it so that it's rings, dip it in a beer batter, fry it, and then serve it with like a really dense creme anglaise. It's so good. Uh, So it's almost like a donut, but it's, it's a fritter, but in the donut, in the form of a donut with creme anglaise so the apple stays
0: together or it comes apart when mm-hmm. you fry it
1: it stays together uh and then yeah. it's got like a beer a beer batter crust on it and it's like the best dessert i've ever had so that's that's a fun maybe fond i'll make that one. for and you when you come
0: to... over for dinner
1: oh i would love that it's i'm scared so good
0: though. yeah i don't want to destroy your memories or anything
1: oh no you can do it as long as the creme anglaise <laughs> is good then then yeah. it's all fine Okay. But I also made, um, I used to go, uh, with my aunt, uh, we would go pick wild, uh, like berries cause they mm-hmm. lived in the black forest and we would make all kinds of jams out of them. So that was like, I have a real soft spot for jam, mm-hmm. uh, and for making jam. I love doing it. Um, what else? I, you know, I was kind of the cook in our house. Actually I cooked for when we had guests over, I would cook. Um, because I started working at this cooking school in Austin when I was, I think like 13, I was mm-hmm. an apprentice there, um, maybe even younger. And I, uh, it was called central market. It was like our new, it was our new market and they had a, a cooking class there. So I learned how to cook, uh, and I wish I could remember the name of this chef, but she showed me how to make a jalapeno apple pie. What? Um, that sounds oh, it's weird. So good. It's incredible. It's a, a pie crust that you smear uh, jalapeno jelly all over. Oh. And then normal normal kind of apple pie filling. And then a, like a spicy, like Monterey Jack cheese on top. And oh then you gosh. bake it and the cheese turns into a crust. And it's like it's spicy with enough savory but also super sweet um what course is that is that that
0: dinner or is that dessert no
1: it's it's dessert it's It's surprisingly sweet i know it sounds weird to have uh, cheese and jalapenos in a pie but it works super well well when
0: you said the jelly or the jam like that helped me tie it together. Cause it's a sweet mm-hmm. kind of thing. That sounds really interesting. Wait. So when you were, um, surrounded by high profile people coming through your home, did you ever cook for anyone that you were intimidated to cook for?
1: Uh, I was always the cook. I guess the scariest person I cooked for was Philip mall. He's a concert pianist, uh, <laughs> really nice guy, but, um, but very fancy guy, like good taste. Uh, I think to be a concert pianist, you have to be even more like psychotic about your craft than mm-hmm. than most people. And uh, so, and I respected him a lot. He used to play the piano in our living room and I was just like, wow, I don't know how someone does that. So when I cooked for him, it was scary. Um, what did you make? Do you remember? I would, my go-to was Gougere.
0: Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I just made that at Christmas for Craig's family. You did? Yeah.
1: I love Gougere. Um, Yeah. My go-to was that. And what else did I make? I mean, that's, that was like my favorite. That, that was always the, my quick bread. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I, that's the only thing I remember out of, out of that, but I probably made some kind of French something. I like making steak au poivre, poivre. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, what else? Yeah, well, that's probably have, my meal.
0: Well, they all must have been so impressed that a 13 year old was coming out of the kitchen with gougere and steak au poivre. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's pretty uh-huh. remarkable. <laughs> I mean, did your did your parents think that it was like impressive, or were, were they surprised that you were doing it this this at all, at such a young age?
1: Yeah, they loved it and really encouraged it. Um and like uh since we were all creative and my I'm like mixed European and Texan, I don't know, it was it was all uh well any kind of creativity was encouraged and I my parents really enjoyed when I would um do anything, really like any yeah. kind of if I played music, they loved it and and but with cooking there was the added benefit of, of them not having to make it. <laughs> so, uh, right. And I kind of, I kind of taught my mom how to cook actually. And now she does it all the time. I was uh, just
0: thinking about the whole high, low thing. And when you said a European married to a Texan that suddenly made me think about that idea too, that like, you know, the refined European culture and then the sort of like the mm-hmm. frontier of Texas or the cowboy country. And, uh, yeah. So it's, it's a kind of baked into you, the high, low thing or that idea.
1: It is, and Austin is like as low as it goes in <laughs> terms of like <laughs> like culturally. It, yeah. And I, I say that really lovingly, but but um, Austin in the '90s was as low as it goes. Like there was no real food variety at all, and and uh, the whole aesthetic of the aesthetic of the entire city was sort of like stoner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Slacker the movie really got it right. Yeah, um, the vibe that was there. And got so it. I do feel really comfortable. I feel comfortable in that and like on a ranch and um, you know shooting a potato cannon is one of my favorite things to do. But then I also like uh, would jet off to Europe and, and like travel France by myself and and like so that I got to experience those two things.
0: Who's that artist a whole lot who's as like a kid? At um like Art Basel who Uses food as a as her canvas and sort of like, do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Oh, there was a chocolate thing. Yeah, this I year, just, right? That just made me think of that oh, when you said I potato potato
0: cannon because like I felt like there was like uh-huh. a woman who like like had like melting like dripping like cheese candles or just things that you mm-hmm. could like eat it and stuff. So I, have you ever used
1: food as a medium in your work? I haven't. There's one art piece that I love by, I think his name is Erwin Worm. And I might've shown you this thing. Actually, it's a piece of Swiss cheese that has hair on it. And <laughs> no, it's so it gross. gross. It's so disgusting, but so funny. Uh, and so that I, I like when food is incorporated into art. Uh, if it's done right. But Is it, is it a real no, piece No, I, I keep them. No, it's fake, but it has like hair it's, yeah. it's, and it comes with a little um, doll comb. I mean, it's <laughs> really nasty, but it's a joke. Like, it's yeah, a, it's a hilarious piece of work. Sure. Um, I don't I don't personally mix the two.
0: Um, I was wondering, because we kind of skipped over it, but in terms of food, you said you and your brother were total opposites, you and your twin. And can mm-hmm. you go more into like what the foods that you like that he doesn't like and vice versa?
1: He's very healthy. Uh, his wife is also super health conscious and she grew up in Santa Cruz. So, um, like vegetarian, uh, you know, they'll use I'll never cook with like tempeh but they Mm -hmm. will um most of what he does is in a pizza oven sort of charred uh he he makes handmade pasta a lot he's actually an incredible cook um Mm -hmm. and I'm more like on the saucy end and and I I love like I put more emphasis on like the butter being really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of or, butter do you use? Um, I like. Well, I use Plugra. Yeah. Or well, I mean, the best is if you just get handmade butter. I was in Philadelphia recently, and there was Amish butter uh, that was clearly just actually churned and then wrapped in some uh, mm-hmm. in some paper. That's what I want. Uh, There's really good it.
0: butter in LA now called like bird de Barret. I think it's called, it's like in a gold package. You can get it at like high-end grocery stores and it's like $12, Ooh. but it's so good. It's almost like cheese.
1: It's so thick mm-hmm. and so like salty. Um, so I oh, totally it's get worth that. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really value like, also it's, here's one thing in Europe was that the eggs ha- have orange yolks. Yeah um you know what i'm talking about totally it's yeah. such a different egg the egg is so different yeah. uh and so good because we ate hard boiled eggs a lot when i was a kid and just the yolk itself is like a big part of the experience mm-hmm. um and if it's like a weird pale yolk I, i'm very turned off
0: what was your favorite country that you have visited or visited i think i asked you this when we were in uh Palm Springs but mm. for our audience like uh-huh. so your favorite cuisine or like from all the travels
1: Cape Town was my favorite yeah I remember um, you said
0: that that's so interesting
1: it's it's such an amazing city and the food is <clears throat> oh so I was saying to you like that there's a wine growing there's a produce growing region uh, I think it's called Stellenbosch that's nearby mm-hmm. and I I went to a winery. um, It's the Stellenbosch vineyard, I think. And they also make all of the food and it's very much like eating in Sonoma where the produce is just so good that you don't need to do much to the food. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was, it was incredible. Um, And then I also had, because I like low also, uh, and I don't remember what it's called, but there's a, um, it's a loaf of white bread that they pull all of the inside out of and then pour a yellow curry into it Mm. Uh, and that I loved Um, and then I ate like fries with mayonnaise because there's Dutch there's it's a weird mix of different cuisines Mm -hmm. Um, but but yeah very very good oh there's a restaurant called Test Kitchen I think it's called Test Kitchen in a Uh, uh, like a shopping complex called the biscuit mill there. Mm -hmm. That's so incredible. Really amazing seafood. Yeah.
0: I've never heard that. You know, it's so funny. Like I've talked to a lot of people on this podcast and Cape town has never come up as a great food destination. So now I'll put Uh it on my list of places I have to go. Well, um, Simon, every podcast begins with what did you have for lunch, but it ends with what are you having for dinner tonight?
1: Ooh, (laughs) surprise. (laughs) Oh yes. my God. I don't know, actually. Well, I have to discuss it with Carrie, okay. but, uh, most likely we'll have Mexican food. to take out or you'll make it yourself. Yeah. Take out. No, I won't make it.
0: <laughs> so tell me about those I'm conversations ashamed. with Carrie. Like when you guys are deciding what to have for dinner, is it just sort of like, I'm craving this, I'm craving that. I'm trying to be healthy. I'm trying, you know, is that sort of what you talk about?
1: Yeah. He, he like always wants soup, which is funny. <laughs> uh, and I like soup too. Actually, canters is, are really amazing. Uh, uh, that's like a good compromise for any night is to have matzo ball soup from canters. Cause nice. I get, I still get really full off of the soup, which is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, But I, we weirdly are usually in the mood for the same thing. And only when like one of us is dieting, does it get annoying. Got it. Well,
0: Well, I was I was just gonna ask, like, do you have a soup recipe? Like, do you make soup for you and Carrie?
1: Oh, my favorite soup to make is vichyssoise.
0: Oh wow, that's that's is it just potato potato leek soup basically, right?
1: Potato leek. Uh, you have to put pear in there at the end. Um, Oh, really? Like little dice? Yeah, diced pears. Yeah, small dice. It it makes it if you, if the soup, lots of butter, if the soup is really salty. I mean, soup is one of those things where you realize how important it is to do things in order. Mm -hmm. Um, If you just dump everything into the pot with water, it's not going to be good. Yeah. Um, So, like, the, I spend a lot of, most of my focus is in the mirepoix and making sure that that's nice. Mm -hmm. Um, And and then, uh, and then, yeah, like later on, it's so exciting to add the cream and butter and salt cause it's like suddenly incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, then, and then you put in the, the like tiny diced pears um, and it's so good. Do you refrigerate it? Is, it?
0: is it cold?
1: I like it hot. The pears are cold, but the soup is hot.
0: It's funny because I always, if you say vichyssoise, I immediately think of Batman, the original that's in Burton movie, because uh-huh. uh, Al, Alfred serves him soup and he spits it out and he says, "What is this, Alfred?" He goes, "It's vichyssoise, sir." And and <laughs> Batman says, "It's cold," and Al, Alfred says, "It's supposed to be cold." And I, I, I always remember
1: that. So um, <laughs> it is supposed to be cold, but I like hot soup.
0: I make a, a soup that I, I think I got it from this guy, Al- Alfred Portal. Speaking of Alfred, Alfred Portal, they had a res- has a restaurant or had a restaurant in New York that was really famous. Gotham. Gotham. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Gotham. Oh, is in Bat- wow. Batman is like what just just happened? everywhere. Yeah, but I have, his, I have his cookbook called Simple Pleasures from the 80s. And I love it. It's just all very simple. But he has a recipe in there for celery root soup with pears. Um, mm-hmm. It's like celery root soup. But then you do balsamic glazed pears and it's like this incredible combination it's like it's like a rich like buttery soup but then like the the like bright acidic fruity pears on top and it's so good
1: that sounds incredible i would like that soup
0: yeah maybe i'll make that for you and then i'll make the german dessert and we'll just figure out the entree Mm -hmm. got it i would love that all right well simon thank you so (laughs) much for uh taking the time to come on lunch therapy do you think we covered pretty much your entire psychology in terms of food
1: uh, I think we did. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. This was so much fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will reach out and we'll get a dinner on the books.
1: Awesome. I can't wait. All right. Thanks, Simon. All I'm going right, to hang thanks. up now. Don't, don't be
0: offended. It's just so I can. I won't be. Podcast. Okay, <laughs> hey, I'll talk to you Okay, soon. cool. Hi. Right, bye. Bye.